Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Researchers believe that as many as one in five people have dyslexia. It's a learning disorder that affects how one's brain processes information about sounds and words. And without proper intervention, it can set kids up for decades of frustration. Parents and school districts alike are eager for more information and better tools for addressing dyslexia. Last week, Webster University hosted a seminar called Dyslexia 101. The symposium was led by Paula Witkowski, a professor of literacy and speech-language pathologist in the School of Education. Its popularity suggests just how many parents and educators are grappling with this problem. First, it had to be moved to a bigger venue, and even then, it sold out. Joining me in studio to discuss her efforts to help dyslexic children is Paula Witkowski. Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're also joined by Sarah Bartley. She's mother to a 16-year-old with dyslexia. She's also co-founder of Dyslexia St. Louis. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And finally, we're joined by Michelle Yepes. Her son, who has dyslexia, is now a freshman in high school. Michelle, welcome. Thank you for having me. Are you the parent of a child with dyslexia? Has it been hard to get the services you need? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Paula Witkowski, to get us started here, what is dyslexia? Oh, let's see. You gave a very good uh, summary of what it is. So... I'm going to go through the the definition, I think, from the International Dyslexic Association. First, they say it is neurobiological. That means that it is in your brain and you're born with it. It's also a problem with phonological processing. So what is phonological processing? It has four components. The first is phonological awareness, and, and that's a child's awareness of the sound system of our language. Um... The awareness of words, syllables in words, rhyme, how words begin the same, how words are made up of individual sounds. Then there's also phonological memory, and we use our speech sound system to hold information in our short-term memory. So that's part of it. Phonological retrieval is we use our sound system to retrieve words from long-term memory. And then the last part is phonological production. And that's how you um, articulate words. And children with dyslexia will oftentimes have problems articulating more complex words like aluminum. (laughs) Now I'm going to stumble over words. Cinnamon, (laughs) (laughs) animal, spaghetti. So that kind. So if, if you... When we're testing for dyslexia, we're looking at all those four components. Um, another part of the definition is it's characterized by difficulty with word identification when reading, rapid word identification, ability to decode new words, spelling, and fluency in reading. And fluency is accuracy and rate and expression. Uh, dyslexic readers tend to read more slowly. And all of this is in the face of having pretty good listening comprehension. Okay. So if you read to a child with dyslexia, they usually understand what you're reading. So these are not in any way children with below average intelligence. Not at all. Okay. No. How did this become a focus of your work? Well, I started out as a speech language pathologist and because language is the foundation of reading and I was working in elementary schools, I thought I need to work on reading. So I read more about how language influences reading. And um, 
after starting off working with S's and R's, I realized that wasn't for me. So, <laughs> so I had um, ling- what, are, what were called language resource rooms. And I would work with kids who had reading problems because of language-based weaknesses. And sometimes it was in that area of phonology. More often it was all of the areas of language, phonology, syntax, semantics, and pragmatics. That, and, you know, it, it, by targeting those specific areas of deficit, they made a lot of progress in reading. How often when you found a child would, would come to you because they were having difficulty reading, did it end up being, yeah, here's the root cause of this. This is dyslexia. Oh, well... I think as a speech-language pathologist, when you do that type of testing, that in-depth, it's not just giving a a test and looking at the score. It's analyzing the results. Uh, A lot of language sampling goes into that, uh, watching what the child does. So usually it's very easy to pinpoint, yes, this is dyslexia or it's not dyslexia. Michelle, how did this end up manifesting itself for your son? Um, So by the time he was in kindergarten, first grade, we already knew he had problems uh, with reading compared to what his sister did because he has an uh, an older sibling and she was reading everything, chapter books by the time she was done with uh, kindergarten and and all of the rest of that. And he's looking at the like, uh, what is this? And did I did I do this? You know, and he was spelled T as T-O one day and O-T the next day. And there was just no no problem, you know. He qualified for um, special school district by the time he was the beginning of second grade because everything was, you know, just he was so far behind his peers and things like that. Um, and this was seven years ago. Seven years ago, they did not mention the word dyslexia. They did not say why he was having troubles with Even as the- he qualified for the special school district. So they, they right. were paying attention to his case. They just didn't understand the root cause of it. They wouldn't. You know, unfortunately, dyslexia has no money attached to it. So I have a feeling, you know, because of that, and then really they did not have any type of intervention that was specific for dyslexics at that point. Mm. Um, it's still a work in progress for them to get proper intervention for them. That's a, a huge area of opportunity for all of our schools to be able to do that, um, at least now. Um, seven years later, because of all of the advocacy work that we all have done as parents to be able to stand up and say, hey, you know, we have problems here. And, you know, at the end of second grade, after he had had a year of, of resource, his teacher's like, well, I don't know what to do. It's like teaching these kids Chinese. Mm-hmm. So he lost, you know, not only kindergarten, first grade, and then second grade, and it continued on until... I figured out on my own after reading Sally Shaywitz and all of these things, you know, I said, you know, he's dyslexic. He meets nine out of 10 criteria on every screener that, you know, that I read, you know, Susan Barton, Susan, you know, Sally Shaywitz's screeners and such. He's dyslexic. We've got to do something. So, you know, that's where I started teaching him at home, you know, with Barton reading and spelling. And after you were able to figure this out, that here's what these these um, problems have in common is dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Did that make things at that point? Things were all making sense. You could you could be able to deal with this. Or was that only the beginning of a very long journey? Um, it's still the middle of a journey. You know, um, things are getting better, um, you know, with he did start making progress um, in, you know, after I started the intervention with Barton. You know, it was still a mess with the school, you know, up and including due process, um, you know, which he did win that case with um, being denied a free and appropriate education. But, you know, because of that, you know, I was able to get, um, you know, help 
with uh, St. Louis Dyslexia um, Center. They opened up about the same time that, you know, I was like, okay, I've, I've taught him enough myself. Um, I really need somebody else to look at it and really make sure. And then um, we also did some, uh, a computer program called MindPlay, um, and it was that intensity that really opened things up. So between, and this is between seventh and eighth grade, and at the end of the um, end of that summer, between those those years, he was reading one of my text messages and says, you know, Mom, that's the first time I've ever read a sentence. Wow. And what a great moment that must have been for him and for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, for him, luckily, he's still willing to work. How many kids have this issue and that would be this frustrated by the time that they're going through middle school? That they would just give up. They're done. Sarah Bartley, what was your family's journey uh, with dyslexia? So we knew also that my kiddo was learning differently than his older sister. Uh, we He was not learning the typical way. She picked up language. She picked up reading. It was not an issue. Um, and then I knew in kindergarten that there was something not quite right. He was not picking this up. Um, even in preschool, looking back, look even in preschool, like it took him the entire preschool year to learn the Pledge of Allegiance. Hmm. And he did it like pretty regularly. Um, So looking back, he just had a lot of trouble holding on to information and especially information that would have been like rote memory. Um, Letters and sounds were like a foreign language. Um, He had an incredible elementary school kindergarten teacher that worked really, really hard with him. That was the only year he has landed at grade level in reading. Every other year, there was more and more. Um, First grade, I asked, yeah, you know, you think you might have dyslexia and was told how rare dyslexia is. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at Paula here for a moment. <laughs> it, it sounds like this is something that people just have a lot of misinformation about. They do. Um, and I, I wanted to jump in. We, when I worked, let's see, I won't say where, we weren't allowed <laughs> to use the word dyslexia. They didn't want, they said it required a medical diagnosis. Yes. And, and that's is that the not, case? It's not true at all, no. Interesting. And there doesn't need to be a discrepancy between IQ and achievement. That's not true either. So, so a lot of misinformation. A lot of misinformation. I was, I was really incensed when I read from the Lindbergh School, they were blaming the universities and colleges. And I thought, wait a minute, I've always taught about dyslexia. But then I stepped back and I thought, oh, but not in depth enough, mm-hmm. not enough information. So we have great teachers, really good, caring teachers. And they haven't been trained in what this is or what to do about it, which is why Webster started our our program. Yeah. Um, Sarah, not to, to interrupt your story there, but it was just it, fascinating to me that even teachers that are trained with this um, maybe didn't have the right information. So they're kind of poo-pooing this diagnosis that you were able to come up with. And to be clear, it was not a teacher in the dist- like it was not a teacher that said that's that's rare. It was a diagnostician in, in our district. Um, and so I think she also didn't have all of the information or they were a little nervous to go, oh, yeah, absolutely. This is what it is. Um, Because there weren't any interventions that were going to be really appropriate for my kiddo. My child is one that never qualified for an IEP, an independent educational plan. He just didn't. um, They use a discrepancy model in our district. um, And no matter how hard we fought, they just wouldn't let up and so he did not qualify. And for those listening, if he qualified for that, that would have triggered all sorts of um, services and, and funding. That yes. I know um, it's still a struggle after you get one, but it at least would have given him a leg up. However, 
qualifying for a service or that, it all is dependent on whether or not the person providing the service knows what dyslexia is and what to do about it. So it might not even have been a solution anyway. It might not have helped. So you weren't able to get that. I was not able to get that. He was was granted an accommodation plan that gave him access to general ed information in a way that he could do it. But we continued to fight. He did not get the services and intervention that he needed in a public school ever. We had to seek outside services to get that. So once he was in middle school, I was like, I'm done, like pushing this and being that mom. Um, So we got a private tutor. Um, My business partner was his tutor and she, he did amazing work and we are nowhere near grade level really, but he's doing well. Mm -hmm. He still struggles to write, but he reads well. And is the importance that here he has this one-on-one tutoring or is it the importance of the methods being used by this tutor? Um... Or both? Both. I would say both. Like the one-to-one really makes a difference because then it's really individualized to him. So if you're in a group, it's a little bit harder Mm -hmm. to bring, you know, to keep this group on the same level all the time. So the method and the group or the individual. And I want to jump in with that because I think the research has shown that if students get the services early in kindergarten, they actually can change how the brain is wired for reading, and students will make a drastic improvement and, and be able to read. Even They'll always be dyslexic, and so they might be slower readers, but they make drastic improvement. So early intervention makes a huge difference. It's, it's very important. If you wait until fourth grade, then they need the one-on-one and sometimes two hour, up to two hours a day of intervention. Wow, so that's yeah. pretty serious. Statistically, they say if you wait till the fourth grade, it takes four times as long to remediate a child. Wow. And I'm assuming you ended up um, founding your organization, Dyslexia St. Louis, because of this, what you had endured. Yes. Um, there was not something out there that was really providing support and not like knowledge that was accurate all of the time and there wasn't a support system for us parents who are just really trying to figure out how to navigate this system Um, and so my business partner and I both have children with dyslexia and um, we were like well you know we could probably do this and um, we jumped in in January of 2018 and we are exploding. That's Sarah Bartley. She's the co-owner of Dyslexia St. Louis. We're also joined today by Michelle Yepes, whose son also has dyslexia, and by Paula Witkowski, who's a professor at Webster University's School of Education. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back. We're joined today by Paula Witkowski. She's a professor of literacy and speak lang- speech language pathologist at Webster University School of Education. We're also joined by Sarah Bartley and Michelle Yepes, both are parents who advocate for dyslexic children. We're going to go to the phone lines here in a moment, and if you also want to join our conversation, um, talk to us about how dyslexia has affected your life or your family, feel free to give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Let's go here to the phones. We've got a call from Aiden. He's calling from Wentzville. Hi, Aiden. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Um, 
Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, thank you for joining us. I understand that you yourself um, have been diagnosed with dyslexia. How old were you when that happened? Um, about seven, okay. probably. And what was that like to be told, here's this word that describes what you've been struggling with? Did that come as a relief or, or almost was it scary? Um, it came as a relief because now we knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. It was um, going to be probably easier to get me help now that we knew what it was. And before that, what kind of problems had you been having in school? Um. Well, before I knew that it was dyslexia, I um, a lot of times thought that I was not smart, and I um, cried a lot, mm-hmm. and I um, pro- I um, I. Uh, had to leave I had a hard time reading and um writing which always kind of came back mm-hmm. and um made it hard in every subject because you read and write in a lot of the subjects has, not just reading has that changed now that you have a diagnosis and are able to get some specialized help yes that has changed a lot um I've caught back up on grade level. I am going to a school for dyslexic kids, which has been helping me a lot more. Um, And everything so far has been going amazing. That's great. What would you want people to know if they're approaching um, a dyslexia diagnosis, say they think their kid might have it? What advice would you give them or what would you want them to understand about what's part of your condition? Well, I, it's not a, I don't picture it as a disability. I picture it more as just a different way of learning. So if they can get their kid to advocate for themselves, um, it's going to speak way louder talking to the person who's going to get the technology or get um, the help that they need. Aiden, thank you so much for that. I think that's some great advice that kids have to um, advocate for themselves. And I know in many cases, our guests here, they've had to advocate for their kids. Um, Paula Witkowski, it seems terrible that we would put this on the backs of seven-year-olds to say, (laughs) you've got to speak up here. And yet, maybe that's part of it. Well, I think it is part of it. I think we've been uh, aided immensely by the parents that have been advocates for getting laws changed at the state level so that now we have to screen starting in kindergarten. And that's brand new as of last year. That started last year. Do you think that's going to make a difference? I think it's one step in the right direction. (laughs) (laughs) Now, at the same time, as as we were referring to earlier, it feels like so many teachers just aren't ready to deal with this. Sarah Bartley's co-owner at Dyslexia St. Louis, that's Mary Kayser Miller, she told our producer that she taught school for 10 years using the whole language approach. And when her third child didn't pick up reading in the same way as her older two kids did, he ended up being tested for a learning disability and got a diagnosis of dyslexia. And Mary was very surprised. That was totally not on my radar as a teacher. I learned nothing about dyslexia in my um, teaching education. So I was really kind of shocked because I, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm a teacher. How do I, how did I have a child with a learning disability? But um, it happens all the time. Paula, how is that possible that our schools of education aren't aware of this? That just seems crazy to me. It, with one in five. It, you- it, it is crazy. Um, 
we had that whole language movement, which was not successful in teaching kids how to read many times. You and, know, and, and this was done throughout the 80s and 90s. It was. I understand they're still teaching it in some teachers' colleges today. And the research on this seems very clear cut. This does not work. That's that's right. And when I teach, I teach a review of reading research class and point out that we have known that providing phonics instruction is extremely important, for, especially for struggling readers. Uh, studies from the 1960s, but those seem to be pushed under the rug. A lot of people thought of dyslexia as being a visual problem, and they still think that. They think that letters are jumping around and the page is all blurry and things are moving around, and that's not true at all. I worked with a 10th grader, and you know she, she would always set me straight. I'd say, uh, Chrissy, what are you seeing when you read that? And she got mad one day and said, Mrs. Witkowski, I see exactly what you see. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Michelle Yep is when you're hearing, um, you know, these even teachers saying that they don't even know much about this, does that make you angry? It does, you know, to a certain extent. And, you know, and besides being angry, I'm very sad for the kids that are involved, um, you know, because like Paula was saying that, you know, the whole language and balanced literacy that's out there now is still leaving a lot of kids um, behind the eight ball. Uh, and we all know that they, in future life, you cannot get a good job or that type of thing if you cannot read and write appropriately. Reading is so fundamental. Oh, exactly. And then with the with the instructional use that we're doing now, up to, you know, 30, 40% of kids are showing flagging as being dyslexic because of our curriculum failure. So right now, we're still fighting through how do we get the, the appropriate curriculum into our schools so that way all kids can learn how to read and write better. Because the dyslexia movement has come out and um, all of us as parents are willing to stand up and say, hey, this is not okay for our kids. And But there's a whole nother layer, you know, so if it were one in five, you know, we're, you know, 10 to 15, 20% of the population of struggling readers. There's a whole nother 20% that are over top of us that are still struggling to read, that may have problems hmm. that could be resolved with phonemic or, you know, with phonics, phonemic awareness and that type of thing, that those kids are not being addressed appropriately. And they may show up as being dyslexic on some of these screens. And that's not a case of being dyslexic. It's just that they need more of a phonics approach. Is it possible to be a little bit dyslexic? It is, it is on a continuum, yeah. And you can be a little bit. All of reading is based on language. Mm -hmm. So I think teachers have to understand that and they have to see how the components of language influence these different parts of reading, the comprehension, the vocabulary, fluency, as well as word decoding. So do I get to tell you about what Webster's doing? Yes, tell us about what Webster's All doing. All right. Because of this, I was so happy when I, I heard about the new state laws. And so I said, we need to have a certificate in dyslexia for teachers to come back and learn what it is, how to deal with it, how to identify kids that have dyslexia, how to work with kids that have dyslexia. So after they've already graduated. After they've so graduated. But I think this certificate would even be appropriate for anybody with a bachelor's degree who just wants to know more. Uh, there are six classes, and they're offered. They can be a standalone certificate. I've also embedded the content of those classes into our master's in reading, which is nationally recognized. Um, the special ed, M Masters in Special Ed, has a str 
we've we've created a strand so they will take those six classes if they want that emphasis area of dyslexia and we also have a doctoral program and you can focus on learning about dyslexia as well in that program that's great to see somebody taking so this on we really we really think this is important for any educator to know about especially for literacy specialists to know about special ed teachers need to know about it Yes, and I, you know, speaking as a parent, and especially as a parent who the system did not tell me what was going on, I am thrilled to see that Webster University is doing this and getting this education out there because, you know, it is so important for teachers to be able to know because I know, you know, a lot of people are, when I see teachers, they're a little embarrassed, you know, especially after all the advocacy that I've, I've done for my son and being in front of the school board and that type of thing, talking about this situation. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled that Webster is doing this. That's good. Sarah Bartley? So um, just to tout Webster's program a little bit more, we actually have a reading coach in our organization that works for us that's currently in this um program and she it couldn't be happier she's consistently like calling me and saying how great this is and oh my gosh I'm learning all of this stuff and um we're just really excited to get the word out there so that you know teachers can have this information I think that this is the why teachers are really looking for it's that brain science of how a child learns to read not just a dyslexic child but all kids, how they learn to read. And this program really supports that learning. It's great to hear an unsolicited testimonial right there. (laughs) Um, Our phone lines are are very full right now. There's a lot of people, as you might imagine, who want to talk about this problem. Um, Let's go to Beth. Beth calling from St. Louis. Hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, thanks for having me. I just wanted to comment that my daughter um, is currently a student at Webster University in their educational master's program. And in second grade, they contacted us and said, you know, she can't read, she can't write, we need to hold her back a year to try to get her to um, to be able to catch up. And I had to advocate for her to have testing and be tested. And she did, you know, end up being somewhat dyslexic and had a few other things. But my point is that even when we caught it early and she had great support throughout the years, here she is in the Webster University Educational you know, five-year master's program, and she's killing it. You know, she's doing well. Paula's one of her teachers. Uh-oh. And <laughs> I just think really, you know, what we need to do is catch it early and just know that this is, this, this, this shouldn't limit them. It just um, is a different way for them to learn, and they can still really excel and do well. Beth, thank you so much for that call, and I think that is hopeful for anybody whose kid is out there struggling with it. I read some sort of statistic that I think it's something like uh, 25% of CEOs are actually dyslexic. Um, so this is something where people really can achieve. They just oh, need to get these tools. Definitely. They're very smart. I think I know what student she's talking about, and she is one of our exceptional students. Oh, and awesome. when she works with kids, she'll be able to really relate to the difficulties that they have because she had those. Beth, thank you for that call. Um, Christine calling from St. Louis on the air. Hi, um, Christine calling from St. Louis. You're on St. Louis on the air. All right. Thank you. Um, I'm calling as a mother who raised a child with dyslexia in St. Louis. And my personal experience was when he was diagnosed at seven uh, through St. Louis University's uh, speech and language uh, uh, academic program with having significant dyslexia, I turned to Webster schools to see if I couldn't get specific help for him. And they um, just put him in a regular, you know, one-on-one with an IEP um, kind of a 
pull-out program for a general reading. And subsequent to that, <clears throat> since it didn't work, I went ahead and was trained myself in what's called the Wilson Language Training Program, <clears throat> and it's based on an Orton-Gillingham um, 50 years of research. And they sent a trainer to St. Louis. Mm. I was trained, so I am personally as a, a trained Wilson Language Training Specialist for Dyslexia. And what is interesting is that I couldn't get any of the schools to listen to me about just, you know, sending a, um, one of their teachers so they could also be trained. Mm. And I'm excited that finally, now my son is 34, so you can imagine that had I waited for someone else to figure this out, he would still, with a significant dyslexia, not be able to read. But he is married, he is an accountant, and he's, you know, fully functioning, two children. But we put him at Churchill after he got through some of the training with me, where he increased his reading in one year, two years of reading on this Wilson program. So we went to Churchill because Churchill also uses the Wilson Language Training Program, which is a special school in St. Louis for children with dyslexia. And what I think he got the most from that, in addition to integrating this this reading um, strategy and all of this classwork, was that he became a self-advocate. So mm. when I heard the little boy on the radio talking about self-advocacy, my son did that for his entire high school and college years and, and succeeded very well because he could acknowledge his disability without any kind of shame or reservation and get the um, any kind of special accommodations that he might need. Although okay. Thank, Christine, thank you so much for that. And it's great to hear another um, real success story. Uh, Michelle? Yeah. And um, actually, she brought up a good point, which is shame. And, you know, the the thing that educators need to really understand is the shame that these kids have with the inability to read. Uh, it really sets them apart. It can cause uh, behavior problems. You know, the kid would rather be a behavior problem and a bad kid than being a stupid kid. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, um, it can cause a lot of anxiety and depression because they are not successful in school. So it's it's super important for the um, for the educators to really understand, you know, the emotional impact that dyslexia has. And then it also has that same effect on the parents because we have a lot of parents that come and speak to us, you know, as, as folks who are willing to stand up and say that our kids are struggling to read and they are not as willing to be able to say the same thing, you know, that my kid's having troubles. So I can relate to Michelle saying my kiddo definitely struggled with the shame component and that the, the, the antidote to that is empathy in our school districts. So when I advocate for kids within school districts, I advocate in those IEP meetings and 504 meetings for empathy and those empathetic responses and validating these kids' feelings and not looking at everything through a behavioral lens. Um, Like, he just doesn't want to, or she just doesn't feel like working today. Um, Looking at that, you know, if you sort of picture it like an iceberg and writing and writing and attention and behaviors all on the top, underneath all of that is frustration, shame, anger, emotional issues. Our kids are bringing all that to school with them every day. There's trauma. It's it's really difficult for them emotionally. They may not show that at school. You may have a kid where they, they're really happy here. That's the same kid that gets home and has an epic meltdown over, sorry, we're out of Twinkies for your snack. Mm-hmm. 
Like, and that's where maybe that empathy can come in. Absolutely. Of with that. Um, I'm sorry to say, I know we have a number of other callers that want to join us, and there's a lot more we wanted to talk about today, but we're pretty much out of time. I did have one question I see a couple of our callers have that I'm wondering if maybe any of our guests can address. If somebody's an adult and they realize this is something they're struggling with, are there any resources for them? Sarah Bartley, does your organization only work with, with children? At no, this we point? will work with adults. Okay. We actually have a college kiddo that we work with, and um, so we are absolutely willing to work with adults. Michelle mentioned mind play as something that her son did. This is also something that would work for an adult. It's definitely something to look into. But we do, we will, um, we will work with adults to learn to read. And do you have a website for people who are interested in learning more about your organization? We do. It's dyslexia, St. Louis, S-T-L-O-U-I-S dot com. Okay. So if people want to check that out, that's great. And if any teachers want to learn more about what you're up to, Paula Witkowski, where should they go for information on that? I would email me at Paula W. Just P-A-U-L-A-W at Webster.edu. Okay, great. Well, it's great to hear these strides being made. It's so nice to have a, a show that we're working on where there's actually some good things happening. So Paula Witkowski, professor of Webster University School of Education, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Sarah Bartley and Michelle Yepes, thank you so much for coming thank today. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.